Hello, everybody. My name's Kyle. I surf, I make movies, and I love asking questions. And guess what? I'm having a good day today. I'll tell you why. This morning, on a whim, decided to throw my swim fins and a hand plane in the back of my car. Best call ever. I haven't gone body surfing in way too long. And it always surprises me what a good time I have doing it. Ugh, it was the best. And then, this afternoon, decided to go surfing on a surfboard. I have sunscreen on my face. I have salt in all orifices. And today has been a two-thumbs-up day. This episode is with Trevor Sven Carlson. Trevor is a professional big wave surfer and has been nominated as the Performer of the Year three years in a row now. He is a very clear, driven, and at times intense person, and I really like him. He's a good dude, and in this episode, we talk about his childhood, we talk about some of the worst beatings of his life, and he does a really good job bringing the audience into those moments. And best of all, when we finished the podcast, we stood up, and he was he said, hey, what are you doing after this? And I didn't have any plans, so I'm like, I don't know. What are you doing? He said, hey, you want to go play Frisbee? And I'm like, fuck yeah, I want to go play Frisbee. So we went down to the park and we threw a Frisbee around, which was the best call ever. And since then, I've purchased a Frisbee of my own and have been playing on a weekly basis. So thank you for that, Trevor. Anyway. Hey, if you like this podcast, head over to my website, kyle.surf, and click the donate button. I produce this whole thing myself, and I would appreciate a few bucks a month from you if you're getting value out of this. And to say thank you, it will enter you into a monthly giveaway where I give away all kinds of awesome gear. This, uh, This month, we're giving away a Sector 9 skateboard, giving away gear from Patagonia, all kinds of fun stuff. So head over to kyle.surf. And just say hello, even if you don't want to donate. But I'd love to hear from you. Let's get this thing going. Clearly, I'm feeling talkative. But without further ado, please welcome Trevor Sven Carlson. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. The trip to Oregon. Oregon's a really incredible place to go surfing because it's it has incredible waves, but you really have to work hard to make that strike mission happen because there's not a lot of organization up there. There's yeah. only a couple guys to really kind of take care of you up there. You need a team to go up there. You need jet skis. You need a couple jet skis. Yeah, because you need a jet ski to look after a jet ski. There's just a lot goes into that trip. So going up there is is one of those missions that you need to have really planned in advance. Yeah, and were you able? You were able to organize it, obviously. Yeah, and I, I got lucky. I was able to connect with the right people and and um, make it happen. And from there, going to Todos. Todos is another one of those places that 
I have another friend in San Diego, Chris Mumford, who he was my kind of connection into Todos because I had never been there. And um, on that one swell where I went from Jaws to Oregon to Todos, from that Todos swell, I actually got on a red eye, went back to Jaws, and that was the swell where Aaron Gold got the big one. And then that night after the swell, I went right back to Todos for the Todos competition. And that was like this crazy week of having that big swell at Jaws was just an incredible life event. And then getting to do that much traveling in a week is, this is where I say it becomes a blur. Like it's a really beautiful experience, but it's. What, what, uh, what moments do you remember from that one day at Jaws? Um, I remember showing up in the morning and it wasn't that big. And I was, after coming back from Todos, I knew that the competition was on at Todos when I had left Todos, which was, I was like actually in the airport in San Diego when they put the green light on and I was going back to Hawaii and I realized, holy shit, I'm going to get to Hawaii, be there for like 12 hours, get to surf and then go right back. And in that moment I was trying to figure out, is, is it worth it to spend this energy on chasing this whole back to Jaws before I go to the Todos comp? Because I've really wanted to, right. I really want to do well in these comps. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to burn yourself out. There's only so much energy you have. And if you take a few bad wipeouts on any of those given sessions, you can spend yourself pretty quickly. But looking at the numbers and the, the charts for the Jaws swell, I, I was in the airport and I still decided I was going to go and come right back. And when I got there that morning, it was kind of small. And I remember like kind of tripping out, like, did I make the wrong decision? Right. And eventually I just decided to go sit in the lineup and it wasn't that big. And then I saw everybody was sitting and I kind of figured I could go sit out on the north, like just deeper and more on the North Peak. And I got a, one of the cleaner waves I've ever had out there. And that got me all fired up. And then I paddled right back out. And within like 10 minutes, I got one, maybe the, I th- might be able to call that the biggest, or maybe the best wave of my life. Wow. One of like top three. When you were in the airport making that decision, did you talk to anyone? No, this is just me staring at my cell phone and, and surfline and, and trying to figure out what I'm doing. Um, if it doesn't really matter to me what anybody else is doing in this situation, this is my decision to make and my energy to spend and my, yeah. mo- my money to spend. And yeah. So you have to make these decisions on your own. Yeah. And when you're here on the North Shore, you're also in <laughs> quite a committed state. I went and did a CrossFit workout with you yesterday and you were telling me that you'll have weeks where there are no waves and you'll um, designate workouts for yourself on those days. And then there will be, there will be weeks leading up to a swell and you'll designate separate workouts for yourself on those days. But you're working out basically every day. I'd I'd like to think every day, twice a day or twice a day, um, on top of surfing. What do those workouts look like? Well, well it, it, that changes seasonally as well as it changes by the week because of waves. Um, as you said, there are weeks of waves and I train differently during weeks of waves because I'm surfing so much. And then there are weeks leading up to a swell where I have to, I have to be careful about not overexerting myself, but staying active and staying sharp, but doing a certain amount that leads me into a swell properly. Right. And then there are the weeks where there are no waves coming on the horizon. Right. And then those are the, the weeks where I really try to make work happen the most because those are the weeks where you can make gains. Yeah. Do you have a specific goal right now that you're working towards? You know, I've been thinking about this for a long time and what my goals are. And at the moment, my goal is is simply to 
be is in the best shape I can be. I'm, I'm, I'm just working on being happy with where I am in my life these days. Um, it's, it's really important for me. These, the, one of the biggest things I'm working on these days is just being happy exactly where I am because I've, in a way, already kind of accomplished more than I ever dreamed of in my little surfing le- world life. And now I, I'm kind of blown away about what's happened. So moving forward, I, I'm trying to take a very slow approach that is sustainable. So I'm trying to, that's the biggest, I'm trying to find a sustainable pace right. to move forward with that looking at guys like Jamie Mitchell and, and Shane Dorian that are quite a bit older than I am yeah, and to see how, how good a shape they are and to see where they are mentally and to see how they are still pushing and still getting better. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the best thing is they're still learning. I mean, and, and with big wave surfing, it's just a matter of time in the water. And for those guys to still be in that kind of shape and to be having such a good time doing it too. Yeah. They it, seem like they're having a good time and are getting better. I really hope that when I turn 40 something, I am close to that, like anywhere near that kind of shape and still able to do what I love. And also hopefully compete with the best. I mean, it's, yeah. it's really incredible to see what they're doing. And I think the only way to make that a possibility, I'm 28. So like, what is that? 12 years from now? Yeah. Um, is to get a head start now. Yeah. And hopefully I'm working hard now so that in 10, 15, 20 years, I will still be able to do what I want to do. Where does your drive come from? You know, I, I feel like in my life I've had a lot of people tell me what I can't do. And I've had a lot of people tell me in a weird way, like the people who tell you that you can't do something and the people who don't believe in you are the, the biggest pushers in my, at least in my life. Um, I moved to the North shore when I was 18 and being, a being a Howley kid from Hermosa beach, California, coming out to the North shore, I got hired as a lifeguard right when I got here it doesn't really play into my favor. And, I, and also being 18, get hired as a lifeguard and not knowing anything about the culture here, I kind of got thrown into the, the middle of things and it wasn't easy for me to figure out like the flow of, of life out here outside of surfing. And surfing was the one thing I kind of... was an example of that? Um, I spent my year, first year working in Waikiki and, uh, you know, I'd, it's, just, it's just a different culture. Like for myself, it's a funny thing because now 10 years later, I... I look back and I think it's silly. I, you know, I was 18 and I, I talked a lot about wanting to surf big waves. Yeah. This was like a thing for me. I really wanted to surf big waves and I was willing to tell any of my friends. I was just, I was just excited. I didn't really care what they thought. I just wanted to talk about it and share it. And I would hoping that they would tell me stories and we could just vibe off this right. exciting sport. And it didn't really play in that direction. It was more like, who is this kid from California who thinks he can talk about surf big waves? Like, surfing big waves, like shut up and do something. Yeah. And in a way it was like, well, you know, I, I'm just excited. Like, and I don't understand, I didn't understand the culture of, of do it. Don't talk about it. Yeah. And I've gotten older and I've kind of learned a little more about how to approach, um, this and my ego has changed and, you know, we, we grow as we get older and, and hopefully for the best. And, what advice would you give yourself uh, at 18 coming to the North Shore for the first time? Oh, man. Um, you know, just... Shut the fuck up, Trevor. <laughs> there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot going out here. Yeah. There's a lot going on out here that's been going on long before we got here. Yeah. Or like being a new kid, like for myself. 
I wasn't going to do anything new. There was everything that I wanted to do has already been done. Yeah. And there at the same time, surfing big waves doesn't make you like anything special. It's just something that we do. But I think that's part of being young. You, you look at people who are older and doing something and you think that that's who they are, really everything about them. But it's much more complicated than that. Like, um, like you look at some of the guy, like some of my heroes growing up were guys like Mark Healy and, and I thought of him as like this just re, just absolute like mind boggling example of an extreme human. And I wanted to be like that. I, I love spearfishing. I love certain big waves. Um, I like skydiving. I, I have the, all these weird little similarities, but I, I didn't realize that that isn't really who I am. Like it's what I do and who I am is, is the way my mind thinks quietly when nobody's around. And so for my 18 year old self, I'd probably tell myself to talk less and, and not do more, but like, just, just talk less and, and, <laughs> and just keep to yourself a little bit. Take yeah. some deep breaths. Yeah. Calm down a little bit. And yeah. Don't, don't drink so much coffee. <laughs> like, yeah. It's easy to be a fired up little whippersnapper when you have a big goal set for yourself. That's for sure. So what brought you out to Hawaii? You know, um, when I was younger, I had a, uh, like I had an interesting childhood. I, I had my own sets of challenges and um at a certain point in my childhood I ended up in foster care group homes and at around age 12 and that led me to an interesting mindset growing up and then at around 16 I was kind of out of that situation and and a little more on my own and I was able to finish high school and when I was 18 I, I moved to San Diego to uh, I got hired as a I got hired as a lifeguard down there for San yeah. Diego City in in uh, in San Diego San Diego City yeah and I got my EMT yeah and then from there my whole goal was go to Hawaii and be a lifeguard because if I got to Hawaii I could totally reinvent myself I could I could really put my head down and just focus on my goals and my goals were just surfing it, at the yeah. time it was always surfing bigger waves but definition of big was different back then well you say it was your mindset growing up you said it got you in an interesting mindset. Well, I think my mindset growing up was a little bit more of, I didn't think that far ahead. Um, I, you know, I, I partied a lot. I, I did a lot of things that these days I wouldn't be proud of, except for these days, if I hadn't done those things, I probably wouldn't be where I am. Right. So in a way I am happy that everything happened the way it did. Yeah. Um, and that comes down to everything from doing drugs to making just stupid mistakes that people make when they're kids and hopefully you take those as learning lessons and you move forward and you use those experiences to better yourself. Yeah. A lot of people who, uh, who I found have reached the highest highs, uh, have either had near death experiences when they were younger or had shitty upbringings in some way. And ultimately it's a, it's, um, it's, it's forced them to take a, a sober look at themselves at a young age and ask those questions as you did like, who do I want to be? What is it that I really want to do? Because it's so easy for a lot of people to float until they're 40 years old. And then they realize that they never maybe set their mind to a specific goal and really went for it. Like you did at a young age. Does that make sense at all? It, it makes sense. Um, sometimes I think that when I was a kid, I, I had so much taken from me that I had did nothing else to really lose emotionally. So it was very easy for me to, to get up and keep moving forward because there was nothing to leave behind. What do you mean by that? Like I went to eight high schools in my, in my first two years of high school. Whoa. And I went to five high schools my freshman year and 
for a number of different reasons I was bouncing around and it's this really weird thing that happens to your brain where you learn to let go. You learn to move forward. You learn to make new friends. You learn to, it wasn't a big deal anymore. It was just, it's just like this next little phase. Right. And I didn't really know what was coming a year ahead. I didn't really know what was coming a week ahead. And, um, by living like that for so long, I was able to kind of detach from, I guess, certain crutches or, or things that we have in life that make us feel comfortable. Right. And, I can imagine, man, that's fucking, like, growing up in high school, like the friends that you make in high school are, that's like one of the biggest parts of it is like, oh yeah, I have my crew. And if every few months you're having to figure out where you are in this new high school and there's different cultures and different, they like, that definitely does something to, um, force you to let go and enter a new situation and, and figure it out in a, in a completely new way very quickly. It sounds like that's what what you had to do, really. Like it was kind of by necessity. And it's it's as an adult become. I think those years have been the best thing that ever happened to me now because now I'm I'm pretty good at letting go and moving forward and and not letting little things bother me and and I have a I feel like I have a different perspective now on on life situations. Yeah, I, I feel like I've been lucky enough to. Now I have the ability to step back from my life a little bit and see it from a third person's perspective. And I think it changes the way you make decisions and it changes the way you look at yourself and yeah. your, your ego and the things you want in life. And, and totally, this is, um, totally personal. So you don't need to answer this, but what kind of drugs were you doing? You know, um, I did a lot of hallucinogenics in high school and, uh, um, made a little too much drinking and, and, I was kind of in this like, I don't know if you call it wannabe hippie state of life in my little world. I wore a lot of tight ass shirts in high school and like I had long hair, I had long hair and, and, and these are, these are the things. fit CrossFit Trevor now <laughs> looking at the tie dye hippie in high school. Oh no. <laughs> I was still the swim, whoops, I was still the swim team kid though. So like, right. So that was, was, was that one thing that you, uh, kept throughout all high schools? Do you do swim team? Um, for those couple years, I wasn't able, I wasn't able to, I was mm. able to kind of join the gym classes everywhere I went. Right. Um, but through like all of elementary school and all of middle school, that was my life. Like, yeah. I, I spent like 10 years of my life on swim team. And then through my last couple years of high school, I got back on the swim team and water polo. And then when I did a semester, uh, in college, I got back on the college swim team. Yeah. Um, and that was just, you know, I, that was like my happy place. I, I think it was my happy place because I was really good at it. Right. And I liked beating my friends per se. Like it, it's a good, it's, it feels good to be good at something. Right. Did you feel at all? Like when you would join a new high school, it was a little bit like showing up to the North shore for the first time and being like, yeah, I'm good at this. I want to do this and doing it out of excitement, but having it kind of come off in different ways or not really. Well, I, I didn't have anything to be good at for those years. Mm. I was kind of just floating. I was in the situations I was in, it wasn't like I wasn't able to excel in any one thing because I had kind of too much emotionally going on. Yeah. Um, which later in life has been a blessing because it's made me stronger uh, emotionally. Maybe not like I didn't have a couple less years of training I had in my life, but I've been able to make up for it as I got older. I bet. And, and, and with mental fortitude and having to deal with that, uh, early on, I'm sure had a big, um, played into who you are now for sure. It had to. What would you say those years really taught you? 
I think those years really taught me that everybody has something going on. And a lot of times I was surrounded with other kids who had their stories were so much exponentially, like unbelievably worse than mine. Like it didn't even make sense to me. Yeah. And, and I went into these situations thinking that I was in a bad situation until I got to know like a lot of my foster brothers and sisters and these kids I was living in the group homes and these stories were on a, such a whole nother level of my existence that I, it was very eye opening to how good I had it. Yeah. Even though that some people might think that I had it rough, like for, to me, I had it really good. Yeah. So this was the changing. I think this was like around 13 years old, uh, maybe 14, I, I maybe like 14 or 15 actually, I really started to like try to get to know other, some of these other kids where I was going and these stories really helped me out because it was like a, it changed my perspective on things. Wow. Are there any that you remember that really stuck with you? You know, um, I'll give one story, one example. There was this one kid who I lived with in a group home in the Valley. I was going to, I think it's called Chatsworth High for a, a couple months I was there. And he had been in the group home for like five years. I think he was like 13. And uh, before that, he lived his whole life in a car. And his mom was a prostitute. And he remembers basically his earliest memories are being in the, back, being in the front seat when his mom was in the back seat. And and his mom doing drugs and, his, and him like trying to wake up his mom and his mom's all messed up blacked out and just these hearing these stories from this other little kid who was my age and this kid was actually I think a little younger than I was and um, how normal it was for him to talk about these stories was a really eye opening thing to me because I thought like I had some interesting I thought I had something hard but to hear this is just one of uh, endless stories this, it was really eye opening to like how good we have it even when you think you don't have it so good. Fuck yeah, man. Yeah, some people have such wild stories at such a young age. Have you ever thought about going back and um, talking to some kids in those situations? I'm sure it'd be super inspiring for them to hear from what you've done with your life now. You know, uh, until this podcast, kind of, I don't really talk about this stuff. Um, it was actually a big... I, I really appreciate it, by the way, man. This is... It, very, very brave and um, of you to be this honest. Appreciate it. it. It took me like 48 hours to decide that I was going to talk about this stuff with you. Like I, I kind of, I'm in a funny place in my life where I, social media is a weird world these days where everybody thinks that they know each other. And we all know the things about each other that we want other people to know. And so I don't promote certain things in my life because there's no need for people to know. Um, and at the same time, I feel like I, I feel like I have been extremely misunderstood for many years through our the little weird surfing world we have, because I don't feel the need to really explain myself. And you know what? That's that's is what it is. Um, but listening to through some of your podcasts and and I've it's really interesting. The, the the ones I've enjoyed the most were the ones where I really got to hear someone's true feelings, like the Sean Dollar podcast. And these are the podcasts that I really were the most depth into. So I felt. Like if there was a time to, to, to share some interesting background information, it would be something like this. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, man, you should go back and go talk to some of these kids, man. I'm sure it would make such a difference in their lives. I did actually, years ago, try to find a number of these kids, like foster brothers and sisters, and, and 
I went back just like I've had a couple I don't go to California very often anymore except for, for chest swells or for odd reasons and I've gone back to some of these homes over the years and tried to find like people and I've never been able to really um, and it's I kind of moved on past it yeah when did you decide that you wanted to surf big waves well that started really really young I can remember in second grade um, I can remember in second grade being told to draw something like I don't know why but for some reason I think that's about the time Lord Hamilton was like kind of a big deal and uh, and I remember just drawing waves that were like these gigantic waves and these tiny little people in the bottom of the waves and for me this was like the coolest thing ever and I remember when I'd surf with friends I grew up in Hermosa Beach so there's not exactly big waves there but on a blue moon occasionally we get like some bigger beach break which yeah. is probably the equivalent of when those big Mav- Maverick swells were happening. Yeah. And I just, as a kid, didn't realize that. But as a kid, I, I really wanted really badly just to push it harder and bigger and bigger surf. There was, I'd never really found a day as a kid that was too big. And this was kind of a funny mental thing, like turning 18 and going to Hawaii, is I had still never really found a day that was too big to go surfing, so I really wanted to keep pushing just to see how far I could push myself. Because this came down to just like every... I think this is like not a male or a female thing, but humans, we like to push, see how far we can push. And then the ego comes into play and how far can I push myself? Yeah. Like, like uh, it, am I as good at this as I think I am? Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes is uh, from JFK and he says something along the lines of, uh, why do we, de- why do we as humans desire to go to the moon? Because it is there. Yeah, exactly. And it's, that's me again butchering JFK quotes, but it was something along the lines of that. <laughs> it's, it's very similar. You know, there wasn't really any moment in time. It was kind of just something about surfing was like an escape from reality. And then something about surfing bigger waves was just a way to challenge yourself and, and see how what you're really made of. And especially being like a young athletic boy. I really thought that I could like, I thought, you know, I think I can do this. I think I can keep pushing. And I would look at these other athletes who were doing it or at my time, little little kids. And I thought, you know, I I think I'm as good as them. I'm pretty sure I can do that too. And then that came into being an adult where I would see guys surfing. Why man? I was like, man, I'm pretty darn sure I could do that. And then I'd see guys surfing jaws. There was that first, um, the first jaws big swell was the one that got me over there. The I think it was October, early October, when Dorian got a bunch of those really crazy windy ones. And I saw that swell, and I was like, man, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can do that too. I'm, I'm going to go on the next swell, and I'm going to make it, I'm going to do something. And then now I haven't actually, I haven't really missed the swell since then. Yeah. Um, but then... It's what just was, this, so what was your first uh, experience in legit big waves? Um, I was 18. It was my first winter on the North Shore. Uh, I had this 8.6... Um, Waimea was like had a couple real 20 footers yeah. that day and um, the first real 20 footer I ever saw in my life I saw from the impact zone and uh, <laughs> and I, I was pretty blown away like I remember this is like I just remember paddling and watching the lip land in slow motion and I felt like it took so long for the lip to land in front of me and I, I remember I didn't have a I just had like board shorts on and I remember swimming to the bottom until like the leash started just like not letting me go any deeper. <laughs> and I was a swim team kid, so I'm like, I'm pretty darn sure I can swim my heart out. Like, it doesn't matter the timing it, of when it I start. Doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't. I just I'm 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 very confident in my swimming. And 
my leash broke on the first one and then I took a few more in the head and I remember being underwater and like everyone that hit me was the biggest wave I'd ever seen in my life and in that moment I was so blown away and so excited and I got to the beach and I lost half my board and went out to sea and the other half I had on my hand and I got interviewed by the news I came, <sighs> came walking up the beach all like excited with my half board and then I got interviewed by the news and then I went to surf and sea and I bought it at 10.6 and I went right back to the baby pod right back out and I was like back in like an hour wow and the next day I went to work and he is a lifeguard and one of my lieutenants was like uh, so you were sick yesterday, huh? I saw you on the news last night. <laughs> I was like, damn it. I didn't think that went ahead very well today. Uh, yeah, you're like, wow, okay. It's a, I'm on an island. Everyone knows what everyone's doing. Because <laughs> the last time you've called sick at work and then you go surfing and then let the internews, let like some... <laughs> the news tell you. Yeah, no, don't do that again. When was the first time that you went down to Puerto? Um, you've had some big moments down there too. Three or four years, four years, three or four years ago? Um, Time is kind of a blur. I'm, yeah. Yeah, three or four years ago. Um, and and that was just another one of those things where I kept seeing all these photos coming out of Porto and I kept just seeing all these, like meeting people that say they spent time down there and seeing these crazy waves and then seeing people get these crazy waves that I knew. And back in my head again, I was like, you know, I'm pretty darn sure I can do whatever they can do. Yeah. So I'm going to go to Porto and see if I can do it. Yeah. And then I went to Porto and I kind of fell in love and... Um, in the last few years I've been spending a lot of time down there and now I understand why people love the place it's it's really like an old in terms of the amount of time you have to put in to catch one wave that place you gotta work so hard just to catch one good wave which is what makes it so rewarding yeah yeah and you can get the biggest barrel of your life and the biggest flogging of your life when it's like six feet yeah it always happens when it's six feet yeah it doesn't have to be big there to like almost drown yeah and would you Go into that story. I, I didn't know that story until you told me uh, the other day. Um, yeah. So Sorry, this is just going, we're just going deeper and darker, but these are fascinating stories. And if you're willing to talk about them. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to talk. Um, so you kind of have to explain the story leading up to the story. Uh, um, I had just a couple days before gotten nominated for the overall performance award in 2015-16 I think it's not congratulations year, the year before I was I was really genuinely blown away because in my life I never did a surf competition I never had any inclination inclination of being a pro surfer or nothing I was not in the surf world I purely just liked to challenge myself and surf big waves and um so then I got this performance award nomination and I was just so mind blown. I was living on a cloud. I, my confidence levels didn't need to be any more boosted, but they were. And then I went down to Porto, uh, the night of the awards, instead of going out and partying, I went to bed early and then at like three in the morning left to go to the airport to go to Porto. Um, got to Porto the night before this big swell. I like it. I remember like 10 o'clock at night, just showing up at a hotel in Ness, all excited, like, there's a big swell tomorrow. I'm doing what I love. This is, I'm just so excited to be back in the moment. And the next morning we woke up and saw how big it was. And it was kind of a different feeling. And then it was like, holy shit. The streets were flooded. Like the, um, I remember telling myself not to look at it because I would just freak myself out. Like I saw, I woke up, I looked at like one set from the clip, from the top of our hotel. And I was like, okay, that's the last I'm looking at it. I'm just going to go surf. Cause if I look anymore, I'm going to probably talk myself out of it. And so I went down the beach, paddled out. And then as I was paddling out, I saw, I was with, I just happened to be paddling us to Garrett. And then we see Pedro Claudio's wipeout, which I don't know if 
Yeah, I remember that. Pedro Claudel's white pot was just so ridiculous. And from my angle, kind of looking at the beach, it just didn't even, it didn't, I didn't even know how to make sense of what I had just seen. Like how big this wave, this guy just went on and how square the wave was and how flogged he got. It was just paddling out this. For that to be the first thing I saw, it was kind of a scary way to start the day. <laughs> a few hours later, I hadn't caught a wave. Yeah. I finally put my head down and tried to go on one. And I got to my feet and got blown out the back and scrambled for my board. Didn't even look, just put my head down, took like a few strokes up, looked up. And then the next thing I saw was um, a pretty ridiculously large set. And uh, in that moment, I, I didn't really have any time to do anything other than just sit there. So I sat up for a second, took a few breaths on my board and just kind of slipped off the edge. And Is that photo on your wall of that wave? Yeah. So the photo in my bathroom. Of you my... sitting on your board with a massive wave coming towards you. Yeah. My, my fiance is not happy about that. <laughs> it makes, yeah. it, it makes Be it. safe, babe. What I did is I put the, the picture of my worst situation of my life right above the picture of my best wave of my life. So there's this like, that's no, very Zen, very the, yin, yin and yang, like consequence and, um, and like reward reward yeah and they're just the only two photos in the bathroom and it's this really funny contrast of emotions there for me so what happened uh when that wave hit you um the first one hit me and my leash like immediately broke i remember i almost didn't even feel a tug on the ankle i just remember getting hit and then doing so many circles that i was like you know maybe maybe my leash is broken like i, I had a brand new leash on it was just interesting how it broke i never even felt a break and uh when I came up from that one, um, I remember the next one was like for sure the biggest I'd ever seen in my life. And it was bigger than the, the next two or three were bigger than the first one. And the first one's the, the big photo that just looks, that doesn't even look real to me. Um, and then this one, I remember that all the, the next few barreled top to bottom, the first one was kind of a big steamrolling mushburger. And when this thing was, the lip was about to land in front of me, I remember like seriously thinking I was going to die. I mean, there was this moment of looking at this wave and the size of the wave and how bad of a spot I was in where the lip was landing. And I just thought like, man, this, this is how it happens. This, this is, if it's, if it's going to happen. This, this is how like, it happens. This is how it happens. Like it's just a freak situation. And then I came up from that one and, and again, I was like, well, this one's even bigger. This is how it's going to happen. And then and between every one, all I had on was this uh, Patagonia Impact top because Mexico TSA had taken my cartridges. Yeah, they took mine too when I went down there. They're not very nice with cartridges. Yeah. Um, so all I could think about was TSA as I was being steamrolled so, by these massive waves. I'm so upset with those guys. All I wanted was my cartridges. They're not nice at all. No. And then <laughs> I got to a point where I there was like 10 of these waves I took on the head. And in between these waves, I started thinking about that guy, Noel, who passed away in Florida. Yeah. And I just heard the story from somebody, and I, I don't know why I started thinking about this guy, Noel, and the fact that it was like, I heard it was like 10 feet, and they didn't find him for like 30 minutes. Yeah. And I remember being underwater and thinking, like, if I black out right now, I'm, they're never, ever, ever going to find me. And for some reason, I started thinking about my cats. And then for some reason, I started thinking about my, well, of course, I started thinking about my fiance. Um, <laughs> Way to save yourself right there. <laughs> And, uh, like all these I thought about what I loved most in life, <laughs> my cat. <laughs> I mean, sorry. <laughs> both, both of them. Yes. <laughs> um, no, bring me through this, that mental process. That's interesting. There's these moments of like underwater doing cartwheels where I was like, I remember a couple of them, I got hit so hard that it was basically like a kick in the stomach and then a full exhale. 
And then the whole hold down was on these exhales because I just kept getting hit so hard I couldn't hold the air in, which is like your worst case scenario because all you want to do is keep that air in. And my brain went in so many different directions of like, if you black out, they're never going to find you. That's it. You'll just be gone. And then if every time I hit the surface, I basically was just honestly blown away that I hit the surface again. And then at a certain point, I basically kind of was accepting the fact that I was going to black out. Um, and I touched the sand. And I, that for me, this was like such a incredible moment of like, oh my God, I'm on the sand. And then I remember kind of getting swept back out because you can get to like the sand, be chest deep and then get swept back yeah. out there. Yeah. That's the really dangerous thing about Puerto's. You can have a huge wave land on you, you get pushed in, but then you get sucked right back out into the position that you were in to get hit by the, another wave in that same spot. So you never really end, exit the danger zone. Yeah. It, so you hit the sand and then I, I pushed the, off the bottom I hit the sand and I crawl oh, I, no I hit the sand like eventually after all the waves I yeah. hit the shoreline um, and I started like crawling up the beach and I got to there someone had my board for me and then uh, I went to my hotel and slept for like the entire day and yeah. I just I remember I was like I remember being worried maybe I shouldn't be sleeping right now but then I was thinking okay I didn't breathe any water in so I should probably be safe this is just a just this this is just a, like an emotional thing for me right at this moment so I figured it was safe to sleep and I just slept all day. And then um, a week later was another swell. And then on the next swell, uh, at this point I'm kind of being really cautious because I, I really got my ass kicked on this last one and I was, it was, a, it was an emotional experience for me because it was just, you know, I, was <laughs> such, I, went, I went from such a high, I, went from, I gotta, I gotta why that was an emotional experience for you. Uh, and especially because a couple days before I'd been such a high and then I went on to such a low so when the next fall came, I was just kind of telling myself, like, I don't care if I catch a wave. I just want to go out there and spend the day out there. And if a perfect one comes to me, I'm going to go. Yeah. And eventually, like, it was one of those sessions where I waited like four or five hours and never caught a wave. It was becoming late morning and I kind of just chose one and it looked like a good one. And it, it was a closeout. Well, that happens at Porto. Yeah. Um, and uh, I remember traveling for quite a ways and just kind of like what you do in closeouts you wait till the last moment you kind of put weight on your front foot and you dive forward to get away from your board and I did the same thing I always do and when I I rolled perfectly and I landed right on my I thought what was gonna be a perfect direction I landed right on my shoulder and kind of like my face in the trough in the right direction hope and to see what happens and apparently all I did is hit sand um, oh. and I got knocked out unconscious and uh because of that previous swell um, I was wearing two impact vests I was wearing that Patagonia top plus this like homemade spring suit thing that this Moroccan kid Ottman had lent me so I was kind of very lucky to be wearing these two suits yeah and um, I will then I I remember opening my eyes on the surface face up and the very first thing I thought about was I'm, I'm pretty sure I didn't swim to the surface like I'm, I knew right away I was like I, I didn't swim to the surface I, I'm pretty sure I just opened my eyes right here so then in that moment I was like okay I'm pretty sure I got knocked out and I was, but you came to the surface face up, but I just know, all I know is that I opened my eyes on the surface and I was looking at another wave about to hit me. And it was like this moment of, I didn't care about the wave, but it hit me. All I could think of was, I'm pretty sure I just opened my eyes on the surface because the last thing I remember was that dive. Yeah. And, um, then I went to get on my board and I couldn't move my whole left side of my arm or anything. I had, there was no, like, I couldn't talk to my arm at all. And, um, I got to the beach and, uh, my left arm there was like was hanging like a few inches lower and uh and I couldn't move it at all and I had to like 
stick my arm up into my suit and like kind of like like a sling make make it there whoa and grab my board and walk up the beach and i remember looking left and right and then i realized like i don't know where i am and then i did like the whole test okay you're in mexico you're surfing you got hurt go to the lifeguards it's all i know to do so i got halfway to the lifeguards and somehow I don't know if I ran into someone who I started like looking for friends to be like, I'm hurt. Somebody come help me. I don't know really where I am, what's going on. And somebody found, and I remember finding, I don't know who I found and they took me to my hotel and I laid down by the pool for a while and, uh, tried to, and then someone tried to take me to my room or I tried to go to my room and then the lady's like, that's not your room. And that was my room from the year before. So I didn't even know what room I was in at this point. Like I just, it was just, my brain was in a different place. Yeah. And then they took me to my room and I remember laying in bed and I didn't remember how I got up the beach. And like, and this was like weird, like chunks missing of memory. Yes, yeah, concussion. Um, and I tried to remember how I got off the beach and I couldn't figure it out. And I tried to remember how I got to the hotel and I couldn't figure it out. But I remember laying at the pool and like there was all just, and it was kind of coming and going like what pieces of I remembered. Um, and then long story short, uh, the next day was, I remember some of those incredible waves, maybe the best day I'd ever seen in Porto in terms of quality. And I remember just walking up and down the beach with a smile and a sling, staring at the waves, just being so mind blown at how perfect it was and kind of, kind of upset. And you still couldn't move your arm. Oh no. And then I, uh, flew home. You didn't Um, dislocate your shoulder though. No. So what happened was, is I got nerve damage in my arm and bruised bones, um, as well as a concussion, obviously. And, uh, um, uh, I flew home and the doctor told me basically you're you're never really going to use your arm again. I'm I'm sorry. Like you've you've pinched your main brachial nerve. It's it's likely that your your left arm is is going to my left shoulder. So I could I could talk to the elbow and I could talk to the hand, but there was no, you couldn't raise your left shoulder. There was no brain arm communication with the, with the left shoulder. So it was this really weird thing where I could feel it. I could I just couldn't talk to it. Like when you're paralyzed below the waist yeah 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 you it, I, it was like the feeling of right when you're waking up and you can't really move your arm because you've been sleeping on it the whole night but then you, you get the feeling back after a few seconds but th- that feeling wasn't coming back for you it's, it was such, such a trippy thing whoa so then a month later I went back to the doctor and he's like oh it looks like you're making a tiny bit of improvement he's like it was probably, a month he was like alright in two years you'll probably be able to use your arm and I was like holy shit my life is over like I just went from the highest high of my life to the lowest low and then and like twice in a week I got my my ass kicked yeah and then it was just such like a like a turning my world upside down kind of experience oh I bet so then three months later was the first time I lifted my arm like above like I was actually able to lift my arm up and I was in rehab and um, I was putting a lot of effort into rehab trying to get my life back and um, and then eight months later was my first real surf session was the, the jaws competition. And so I, I, at that point was pretty nervous about if I was making the right decision on if I was okay to like come back. I had been longboarding at that point, like about six months in, I started goofing around. It was lucky at that point of summer. So I was able to stay home on this North shore and do what actually needed to be done to rehab. Yeah. It wasn't like I was staring at waves every day at home. I was able to stay home and look at a flat ocean and yeah. kind of not lose my mind too much. Um, so then six months in, six months in, I started kind of like back to like a somewhat normal training program. And then eight months in, I was still like every, every day 
this was a part of my thought process and everything I did was my shoulder. So I wasn't really back yet, but I was like kind of functioning. And, um, I hadn't surfed big waves yet though. I had surfed like some sunset sessions, but that's about it. And then the jaws competition came and of course it was just ridiculously windy. And I went out there and I was like, man, I don't even, all I want to do is not get hurt. I was like, I'm going to look, I'm going to go out here. I'm going to treat it like a normal surf session. If I see a good wave come, I'm going to go. If I don't see a good one, I'm just not going to go. I'm, I'm just going to look for good waves. I'm not interested in, in like doing anything silly, f- hoping like just, I just want to like catch a big wave again after my injury. It was my, and I ended up getting seventh in the event, um, which for me was, this was my first surf competition in my whole life. Wow. So I was kind of blown away to even like make a heat. This just blew my mind. Um, and now my confidence was back after this event. And now this was the beginning of El Nino. And from shoulders here, feeling better, mm, starting to get back. Yeah, shoulders it. coming back to life a little bit. It made me a lot carefuler. I think it made me a lot smarter. I mean, in, in a weird way now, it's been two years. Uh, the shoulder injury was really the best in my adult life now. This is the best thing that's ever happened to me because it was the most eye-opening experience I've ever had as an adult as to how delicate I am and as to how delicate my life is and and how quickly it can be taken away, but then how hard you have to work to get it back and how precious these moments are in life when we are physically functional because eventually I we all have to come to terms with that we are going to deteriorate yeah air it's just breaking us down day by day <laughs> no way around it a few people are trying to figure out ways around it but we are slowly becoming uh we're slowly deteriorating or or making ourselves stronger but there are these points when we will turn to sand yeah I mean that that's dust really that was a metaphor but it wasn't really a good metaphor <laughs> when did you start skydiving skydiving uh so my my yeah we get a little closer to the mic so i started skydiving a few years ago i think it's like three and a half years ago now and i got into that because i had i lifeguarded for five years yeah uh for the city and county i spent four years in the almost four years in the west side and, and a year in town and um, one day, every summer, I was leaving for like a month trip, and they wouldn't let me leave this one summer because I wanted to leave for three months. And so I was like, "All right, cool, I quit because I want to chase waves like yeah. more than I care about my dream job, which was a huge decision. It was like maybe the big hardest decision I made in my life at that time." And um, after this three month stint at Chopo, I came back with no job, like no support, and I got into this crazy roofing door to door sales job that really changed my life financially. And it got to a point where I was working so much, but I was really thriving off of work and loving. It was, I'd never made money before in my life and I'd never really had my own business before. And I was able to like really take control of my own destiny. Just how hard you wanted to work is how much money you would make. I'm sure that was such a big, um, I'm sure that was such a big thing for you too. Growing up, just going from place to place, not really having control of your own life, being able to have your own business and make money, um, I'm guessing was... A big weight off your shoulders it, it changed everything in my life it changed the way I viewed myself it changed every it, it changed the who I am yeah I mean it, it was the that was the time in my life where I went from being a boy to a man um, when I kind of had my own I created what I had and um, then I got to a point where I was working so much that I wasn't surf I was still surfing and, and doing my whole life of training and everything 
but it wasn't to the extent that it used to be. And I didn't feel like I was getting my fix anymore of like my, I'm really doing something with my life. And I'd always wanted to be a skydiver. And the only reason I wasn't was that I didn't have money to do it. And all of a sudden I was like, wait, that's not my excuse anymore. Oh man, what if I, what if I get my license and just on the way to work every day I took one jump. And so that's, that was the concept is I figured I was going to get my skydiving license and every day on the way to go door knocking, I would go take one jump in the morning and then I'd go door knocking and I'd get my fix. And I, and by the time I started door knocking, I would have my adrenaline fix. I'd be all confident. You could see me glowing. And as a salesman, this is what really helped me was like, you could see I was a glowing person because that morning I'd, I had done a jump or two and, and it was just really like made me a happier person in life. Nothing like jumping out of a plane to really get that handshake and look in the eye and smile and say, Hey, how are you doing today? Like, want to buy something? I'm not afraid of knocking on your door. I jumped out of an airplane this morning. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, which is like, it's, it's funny. I laugh about that now, but it, it was very much where my mind was at. I won't do a podcast or I'll rarely do a podcast if I haven't moved my body earlier in the day. Oh, for sure. You need to get your blood moving so that your mind's working. right. Yeah. Um, so you did a, so you committed to that and every morning you would go and jump most mornings. Well, what happened was, is then I eventually didn't want to go to work. I just wanted to skydive <laughs> all the time. And so it got to this point where I was like, all right, I'm just going to skydive and then I'm going to work from, I'm going to work on my phone from the skydiving place on the business I already have going. And eventually it got to the point where I just wanted to skydive all the time. Like nothing in life mattered anymore. All I want to do is fly wingsuits. So then I was like, shit, I need 200 skydives to fly a wingsuit. All right, well, if I jump six times a day, five days a week, for how many weeks do I have to jump to be able to go fly a wingsuit? So I did all the math, and I put all my money, all my time, all my effort, everything I had into this goal. Like, I, I like to have goals, and I like to have something to work towards. So this was this whole new goal in life that had nothing to do with surfing. And I always, I also always really wanted to find a hobby very far from surfing. Because sometimes when the waves aren't good, you got to have something else to do that's really makes you just as happy as surfing. Yeah. And one that's independent. Uh, I do think that other ocean sports are great, but it, I see some of the, the people who I know who are the healthiest big wave surfers also have land activities that they love. Exactly. So it's I, a separate world. Exactly. I wanted to find a world very far removed from my normal world. Yeah. And skydivers for the most part, like a lot of these guys come from landlocked places where this is what they do. That they're not surfers; they're skydivers who just happen to move to the North Shore because they're skydiving here, and now they surf. Yeah, and it, it was—it's a cool world too. Um, my friend Matt is a uh, Matt Rosado is a great wingsuiter and um, one of the nicest guys I know. I've, I've such a cool before. community. Yeah, these guys are great. And uh, so you started really committing yourself to this and started jumping many times a day so that you could get your wingsuit license and it didn't work out that is I, it a wingsuit license is no, that how it works no so but it, you but it's this thing where the community says you need to be this experienced to take this next step the uspa has a bunch of rules and recommendations and basically one of those are you cannot fly a wingsuit until you have 200 skydives not 198 200 so and that means and it's same thing like with a camera. You cannot fly a camera on your head or a GoPro or touch a camera until you have 200 skydives. Because a stupid reason to die is that you're playing with your GoPro. Yeah. And when you start jumping with a camera, you'll start to learn that you start focusing more on your camera angle and all these little other things that you never thought about when you didn't have a camera. Oh, yeah. And you can't be thinking about those things until you have so much enough experience that what you're doing is kind of second nature. 
One of the most dangerous things I've ever done is bring a GoPro out to Punta Lobos on a really big day. I've never once surfed big waves with a GoPro. And it was such a stupid decision. Big board, what I mean, big waves. Yeah. A silly reason to like either miss a wave is that you're playing with a button. People die from selfies all the time. Of all the silly ways to go in this world. Uh, that's probably even got to be worse than a car accident. Yeah. My, one of my biggest fears in life is car accidents. And I think a selfie would probably be even worse than a car <laughs> Yeah, or depending on how you die in the car accident, the amount of people that die from texting or looking at their Instagram selfie. or something like that. Oh my God, it annoys me so much when people are driving and I'm in the passenger seat and they start looking at their Instagram. What about a selfie while driving? No, I'm just kidding. Mm, as long as I'm in it, <laughs> yeah. that's okay. <laughs> so are you now a wing, uh, wing, wingsuiter? Well, yeah. Um, so now, you figured it out? You now committed? I've, yeah, now, now I've got... Uh, you know, skydivers are supposed to be really good at logging their jumps, and because I jump at one place all the time, I've been pretty good at it. And uh, I know I've got about 350 jumps, and I'm not exactly sure how many wingsuit jumps I have. Um, but when I first got to the point where I could do wingsuits, that's all I did. I yeah. literally just stopped skydiving normally, and I just put a wingsuit on and like never took, a, never unhooked my gear, and just that's what I did all the time. Nice. Um, so I thought my number was close to 100, but I'm starting to think that I might have been a little overzealous on that. Uh, Do you go on wingsuit trips now? No, you know, I've never traveled skydiving. Europe's the jam for that, right? But it's really expensive to skydive in Europe. The, mm. f- f- here, in a, an average skydive cost is $25 for a licensed skydiver. Um, in Europe, from what I understand, it's an average cost is about $50 because of gas, I guess, is more expensive over there and... You know, I don't really know the details of yeah. that, but I do know that if I was to go to Europe, I probably would not be getting into skydiving because I can't afford that. Yeah. Man, uh, you've done so much with your life at such a young age. Well done. You should be proud of yourself. Coming from, from where you did to what you've done now is uh, awe-inspiring. I, I appreciate it. I, and to me, in my little existence that I live in, I... I feel like I'm living day to day and I'm, I, I like to set long-term goals and I like to work at them slowly and um, luckily I started doing that a long time ago so I've been able to slowly work on a lot of my long-term goals yeah when you were a kid um, in foster care did you ever have a moment where you said I'm gonna fucking get out I'm gonna do something great with my life um probably I don't know. You know, those, I, I've tried really hard not to think about that stuff yeah. for a long time. And at this point in my life, it almost feels like this crazy story that I've just told or that I haven't told, but like, but right. that, I, that it almost doesn't seem, seem real to me anymore that like that was the past. Right. Um, because of how good things are today in my life. And you're a completely different person and, and you've applied yourself to all these healthy habits and now you're living this incredible, this great life and you have this beautiful fiance and you're living out here on the North Shore, you're chasing big waves, you're wingsuiting, like it's it's cool, man. And, and we all, we're constantly changing. If we're able to to exit one identity and get it and, and assume a new one, we really do change and we're constantly changing. We're the median of the five people we surround ourselves with most. That is one of my favorite quotes of all time because who we spend our time with is ultimately who we become. And even a few years ago, if we're telling a story about something that happened to us, it starts to feel like it was someone else. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah it yeah it's it's um it's interesting the way that you can let or you can not let your past affect your present and hopefully you're using that in the right direction yeah and for myself i i usually try to hold on to some things and I like all of other things and then it comes down to being aware of what it is that I'm holding on to and being aware of what it is I'm letting go of and hopefully holding on to the right things that keep me moving forward in the right direction surrounding myself with the right people as you said and people with positive energy and the same goals that I have um, as, as well as you know trying to push certain people out of my life who don't take me in the direction that I want to go and, and never in a mean way, just in a, in a very slow, like I've always been kind of bad at communication with people in general, especially through like texting people back or I've, I have to, I really try to make an effort to get yeah. back to people, but I'm just totally sometimes in my own world so much that I just am bad at getting back. To yeah. People. Have you had any books or, um, or people who you've seen who have had, um, the biggest influence on you? The question is... Sorry, that was a horrible question. But yeah, who, what, is, who yeah, has had the big influence? Yeah, who, yeah who, who, who are people who have had a big influence on you? Well, that, that would depend on where I have been in my life. Yeah. Um, at different phases in my life, I've had different people I've looked up to for different reasons. Yeah. Um, as I said, when I was like 18 to 23, like my ultimate hero in life was Mark Healy. And then from like 23 to 26, it was Greg Long. I was just could not I just that guy I just was was my hero and then from 20 I'm 28 now from 20 around 25 26 it started to be like Shane I was just blown away by Shane Dorian's ability to do what he was doing at his age and for the amount of years he's been doing it and the way he held himself and it was just, just someone to look up to and then um I've really looked up to Jamie Mitchell for a long time and and uh I have some uh I've had some people in the skydiving world I've looked up to and um, it, it's this is where it's there's never been just one person. It's as as I grow, my my the my role models change. Yeah. Because there was a time when I was looking for like this physicalness, where I looked up to Mark Healy because he was this like epitome of this superhuman man. And then there was this time where I was really looking for more like self reflection and 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 the way that I would carry myself and approach certain situations in life. And I really liked the way that Greg Long, at least the aura that he had about him of, of being thoughtful and, and he seemed like a very self-aware kind of person. And yeah. I really looked up to that because this is somewhere I wanted to be mentally. And then as I've, then I started to look up to someone like Jamie Mitchell because it's just pure ridiculous work ethic. Just, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and so that's how I say, like, as I, as I've grown up, my role models have changed depending on where I am in my life. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed that podcast, please take two minutes and give it a rating on iTunes. It's super simple. Right now, all you need to do is click the search button on your phone, type in The Kyle Tierman Show. Even if you're already on it, it's going to take you to a new page. Click The Kyle Tierman Show, and then there's a place that says Details, Reviews, and Related. Leave a quick review. I would appreciate it. It helps other people find the podcast. And I'll see you soon. Get out there and go body surfing. Body surfing. All right. Later.